Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. More than a billion years ago, in a galaxy more than a billion light years away, two black holes spiraled together and collided. It was 1.3 billion light years away, actually, but who can get their mind around that? A light year is 5.88 trillion miles. More than 100 years ago, Albert Einstein predicted that gravitational waves would ripple outward from that collision and eventually reach us here on Earth. Einstein was right. If you could hear the waves, they would start on a low note and sweep up the scale to higher and higher cheeps as the black holes spiral inward, sweeping toward each other, all the while increasing in volume. MIT's Rye said, you could reproduce the chirp by running your fingernails across the keys of a piano from the low end to middle C. This was, wrote the New York Times' Dennis Overby, the last waltz of a pair of black holes shockingly larger than astrophysics had been expecting. One of them was 36 times as massive as the sun, the other 29. As they approached the end at half the speed of light, they were circling each other 250 times a second. And then the ringing stopped as the two holes collided, coalescing into a single black hole, a trap door in space with the equivalent mass of 62 suns. All of this in a fifth of a second. Lost in that transformation was three solar masses worth of energy, vaporized into gravitational waves in an unseen and barely felt apocalypse. As visible light, that energy would have been equivalent to the brightness of a billion trillion suns. Six months ago, here on Earth, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, LIGO, detected those waves as they washed past Earth fulfilling a four-decades quest and opening new eyes on the heavens. Gabriela Gonzalez, professor of physics and astronomy at Louisiana State University and spokesperson for the LIGO Scientific Collaboration, explained, this detection is the beginning of a new era. The field of gravitational wave astronomy is now a reality. But it's so much more than that. 
Professor Lawrence M. Krauss, theoretical physicist and author of A Universe from Nothing, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing, writes, too often people ask, what's the use of science like this if it doesn't produce faster cars or better toasters? But people rarely ask the same question about a Picasso painting or a Mozart symphony. Such pinnacles of human creativity change our perspective of our place in the universe. Science, like art, music, literature, has the capacity to amaze and excite, dazzle and bewilder. I would argue, says Professor Krauss, that it is that aspect of science, its cultural contribution, its humanity, that is perhaps its most important feature. As Mark David Buckles and I planned this morning's worship service to lift up and celebrate this extraordinary moment in science, Mark David opened his laptop and said, look. He brought up an image of Andromeda, a spiral galaxy 2.5 million light years away from Earth astonishingly visible to the naked eye on moonless nights. Scientists say that in 3.7 billion years, Andromeda and the Milky Way will merge. Gazing at Andromeda's trillion stars, at least twice the number of stars in the Milky Way, I felt a kind of Alice falling down the rabbit hole dizzy and disoriented. At the same time, I was filled with a profound sense of belonging. At home in the universe, we are at home in the universe. I commend to you this awesome perspective that's zooming way out, this perspective of awe. And then there's American poet Robert Frost's beautiful line, Earth's the right place for love. I don't know where it's likely to go better. That's the perspective of awe that comes with zooming way in, experiencing awe at what's right here within us and among us. Here's one of my favorite stories about experiencing awe from a very close perspective, as told by Surgeon Richard Seltzer. On the bulletin board in the front hall of the hospital, Dr. Seltzer begins, there appeared an announcement. Yeshi Dandan will make six o'clock rounds on the morning of June 10th. Yeshi Dandan is personal physician to the Dalai Lama. I am not so leathery a skeptic that I would knowingly ignore an emissary from the gods. Thus, on the morning of June 10, I join the clutch of white coats waiting in a small conference room. The air is heavy with ill-concealed dubiety and suspicion of bamboozlement. At precisely six o'clock, he materializes, a short, golden, barely man dressed in a sleeveless robe of saffron and maroon. He bows in greeting while his young interpreter makes the introduction. 
Yeshi Dundon, we are told, will examine a patient selected by a member of the staff. The diagnosis is unknown to him as it is to us. The examination of the patient will take place in our presence, after which we will reconvene in the conference room where Yeshi Dundon will discuss the case. We are further informed that for the past two hours, Yeshi Dundon has purified himself by bathing, fasting, and prayer. I, having breakfasted well, performed only the most desultory of ablutions, and given no thought at all to my soul, gave furtively at my fellows. Suddenly, we seem a soiled, uncouth lot. The patient has been awakened early and told that she was to be examined by a foreign doctor. When we enter her room, she shows no surprise. This was to be yet another in an endless series of tests and examinations. Yeshi Dondon steps to the bedside while the rest stand apart, watching. For a long time, he gazes at the woman, favoring no part of her body with his eyes, but seeming to fix his glance at a place just above her supine form. I, too, study her. No physical sign or obvious symptom gives a clue as to the nature of her disease. At last, he takes her hand, raising it in both of his own. Now he bends over the bed in a kind of crouching stance, his head drawn down into the collar of his robe. His eyes are closed as he feels for his pu her pulse. In a moment, he has found the spot, and for the next half hour, he remains thus, suspended above the patient like some exotic golden bird with folded wings, holding the pulse of the woman beneath his fingers, cradling her hand in his. All the power of this man seems to be drawn down into this one purpose. It is palpation of the pulse raised to the state of ritual. From the foot of the bed where I stand, it is though he and the patient have entered a special place of apartness across which no violation is possible. After a moment, the woman rests back on her pillow. I cannot see their hands conjoined in a correspondence that is exclusive, intimate, his fingertips receiving the voice of her sick body through the rhythm and throb she offers at her wrist. All at once, I am envious. Not of him, not of Yeshi Dandan for his gift of beauty and holiness, but of her. I want to be held like that, touched so, received. And I know that I, who have palpated a 100,000 pulses, have felt not a single one. At last, Yeshi Dundan straightens, gently places the woman's hand upon the bed, and steps back. All this while, he has not uttered a single word. As he nears the door, the woman raises her head and calls out to him in a voice at once urgent and serene, Thank you, doctor. And she touches the place he had held on her wrist as though to recapture something important that had visited there. Rounds are at an end. We are seated in the conference room. 
Yeshi Dandan speaks now for the first time in soft Tibetan. He has barely begun when the young tra translator begins to interpret the two voices continuing in tandem, a bilingual fugue, the one chasing the other. It is like the chanting of monks. He speaks of winds coursing through the body of the woman, currents that break against the barriers, eddying. These vortices are in her blood, he says, the last spendings of an imperfect heart. Between the chambers of the heart, long, long before she was born, a wind had come and blown open a deep gate that must never be opened. Through it charged the full waters of her river as the mountain stream cascades in the springtime, battering, knocking loose the land, and flooding her breath. Thus he speaks and is silent. May we have the diagnosis, a professor asks. The host of these rounds, a man who knows, answers, congenital heart disease, interventricular septal defect with resultant heart failure. A gateway in the heart, I think, that must not be opened. Through it charge the full waters that flood her breath. Now and then it happens, Dr. Seltzer concludes, as I make my own rounds, that I hear the sound of his voice like an ancient Buddhist prayer, its meaning long since forgotten, only the music remaining. And then a jubilation possesses me, and I feel myself touched by something divine. Beloved spiritual companions, in a galaxy more than a billion light years away, two black holes spiraled together, collided, coalesced, and vaporized into gravitational waves. After more than a billion years, the waves washed past Earth, leaving in their wake pure awe. In a hospital in an American city, a doctor stands above a patient holding her pulse beneath his fingers, cradling her hand, all his power drawn down into this one purpose. In this way, he makes a gift of beauty and holiness. In this way, may we give and receive, hold and be held Touch and be touched by something divine, jubilant. Zooming way out, may we find awe in vastness. Zooming way in, may we find awe in love, remembering always that Earth's the right place for love. Let us choose life from the perspective of awe. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. 
If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.